What's up, everybody? My name is Shane Kohler, and this is The Conscious Love Show. Thanks so much for joining me here, where each week I'm sharing true-to-life insights and experiences from my journey and how I've created the loving and committed partnership I have today. I answer your questions and have live discussions with you so I can support you in your specific situation. And I bring in experts and people who know their stuff so we can all learn from their perspectives. Thanks again for checking out the show. Please subscribe on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on the most. And I would love it so much if you'd leave a review and tell people what you think of us. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at The Living Relationship to connect more closely. And I'm grateful to be supporting you on your journey to love. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Conscious Love Show. My name is Shane Kohler, if it's your first time joining in, and I'm very excited to be back with everybody today. So um, today's episode is is exciting for me. Uh, we had the first session of Inspired Love last week, and uh, those of you who listen to the podcast, you've heard me talking a lot about Inspired Love as we've been gearing up for the program and getting ready. So Uh, We just dove in last week. Last week was the first session. And what we really talk about in the first session, one of the things we we cover quite a bit in the first session, actually, but one of the things we talk about is the four dimensions of human experience. And I've been thinking a lot about these different aspects of who we are and what we are, what we're made of, and how they all work together and how they shape our human experience, this life that we're living, this beautiful life that, you know, we get to wake up every day and explore this reality and, and engage with each other in this very special way. And, you know, um, everything that we want in life, whether that's a deep, passionate, loving relationship, whether that's financial abundance, whether that's anything else you might want, whether it's a a career that you're passionate about, whether it's a family or a community that you're passionate about, whether it's deep, connected friendships, but everything that we desire in life comes out of our integration, comes out of our full, authentic expression. It comes out of us embodying the greatest version of ourselves that we can be. And as we step more and more into that, as we step more and more into the greatest expression of who and what we could be as a human being, that is reflected back to us in in having all the amazing experiences of life. Now, I want to say this isn't a magic spell. You know, it's not like Oh, just be your best self and you'll never have a challenge ever again. And I think a lot of times when people talk about manifestation, it's talked about in that way of just get all the good stuff, get rid of all the bad stuff. And, you know, that's not really how life works, but the way it works is challenges in life, obstacles, disappointments, frustrations, heartaches, heartbreaks, pain, suffering. These things act as a catalyst to allow us to to level up and access a new level of ourselves. So I said to a client of mine once, you know, she had gone through some really deep tragedy in her life, um, going through a divorce and then her ex-husband committed suicide and, you know, dealing with the, you know, divorce and then his death and then her daughter. And, and, you know, it was just like, I mean, if you can imagine some of you have maybe been through similar things, but if you can imagine like this experience was just horrible and just 
so, so immensely challenging. And I remember a conversation I had with her where she's sharing with me what's happening. And, you know, she said that the, the pain is just unbearable. The pain is just unbearable. It's just too much. It's more than I can handle. And what I said to her is that it's more than you can handle based on the person you were before this experience happened. And when you integrate this experience, when you grow through this experience on the other side of this, when this has all balanced out, you will have become the person who can handle this. And I think all of our challenges, all of our heartbreaks, our heartaches, our fears, our, all of it, they're all evolutionary catalysts, if you will. They're all inviting us or calling us in to a greater aspect of who and what we could be. And you've probably heard me say this before, those of you who listen to the podcast, I mean, I say this a lot, is that our challenges in life, all of them, 100%, every suffering you've ever had, every pain, every heartbreak, every fear, every doubt, all of our challenges in life simply come from the fact that we don't understand who and what we are. We don't understand who and what we're made of. And we don't relate with life as our authentic selves. We relate with life and we relate with other people and we relate with our experiences and we relate with all of it through a misunderstood version of ourselves. And that misunderstanding of who and what we are is what creates all of our weakness, all of our suffering, all of our doubt, all of our pain. And when I talk about the four dimensions of human experience, and as I shared earlier, like this is a really in the Inspired Love program, what we do is we, we really explore ourselves as these four dimensional beings. And I'll just say, so, you know, maybe take some of the mystery out of it. The, the four dimensions are body, mind, emotion, and spirit. And we explore ourselves as, as beings that exist in these four dimensions simultaneously. And in the egoic version of life or in the egoic version of ourselves, we see ourselves as a body. And that's because, and we'll get into this as we go through today's conversation, but the ego only knows you as a body because the ego is born from the body, right? So the ego is a survival mechanism that comes into being after the body is born. And, you know, I've often talked about how birth is just a very traumatic experience, especially for a baby who has no idea what's happening. <laughs> and it's just incredibly traumatic. And, you know, we could even say that, uh, you know, there are so many traumatic experiences in early childhood, even if you have great parents, right? But just even being left alone in your crib to cry yourself to sleep, like there's some trauma in that. There's some fear in that. We go from a, a womb where we are warm and we are held and we are protected and all of our needs are met without even trying to this cold world, this harsh world where, you know, I mean, some of us had great parents, some of us did not, but regardless of what kind of parents you have, you're exposed to the elements, you're exposed to the noises, you're exposed to having needs that are not being readily met. 
you know, if you're crying and you're, you're, you're hungry and your mother is not there in that instant to provide for you, there's a suffering that happens in that. And the ego is something that emerges within our consciousness to try to protect us from the suffering of life. So the ego is something that our mind makes up that basically says, I'm going to navigate this cold, crazy world in a way that is going to keep you safe and prevent you from harm and prevent you from pain and prevent you from suffering. And so from very early on in our life, we just start trying to protect ourselves from life. And that's really what the ego is. It is our attempt to protect ourselves from life. But because we experience fear at such a young age, and because we we experience fear at a young age and we start trying to protect ourselves from fear at a young age. And again, this is happening from the time that before we can even really think, right? On an instinctual level, this begins to happen from really the time we're born. And before we can even think, but then as we develop the ability to think, as we develop language and we start to have conscious thoughts with words, then the language is framed through the ego. The language is framed through this need to survive. And from very early on in life, we start to identify ourselves as a body, as an isolated body, like our mind is, our mind is understood to be inside of the body, which as we'll talk about today, the the mind is actually not inside the body. The body is inside the mind, but through the ego, it doesn't seem that way. Through the ego, it seems that the mind is inside the body. It seems that the spirit is some faraway thing that we have no real connection to. And we view ourselves as this fragile thing, as this small thing in this big world that anything could go wrong. You could be hurt easily. And and the ego frames this identity around us as something that is fragile, something that is weak, something that is easily hurt, and something that is in need of a lot of protection. Now, if you just take that right there, that that we see ourselves as fragile, weak, easily hurt, and in need of a lot of protection. Now, this is not at all who we are. But even as I say that, you might feel a resonance in like, yeah, that's often how I feel about myself. I feel like I could be hurt anytime. I feel like I got to watch my back. I, I feel like people are, I feel like people are out to get me, or I feel like life is out to get me, or I feel like I can't, like, I'm not safe. I can't trust. Like I'm, I'm waiting for the sky to fall. I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. I'm, like, you know, like this is, this is all the stuff that we all feel so deeply. And it's because from the moment we begin framing life and we begin understanding ourselves, we do it through a perspective of fear. Now, most of our parents, whether they were good or bad parents, themselves had a lot of fear and their parents had a lot of fear and their parents before that had a lot of fear. I mean, You've got to you've got to think about where we came from as a as a species of people 
And it wasn't that long ago, and I've probably said this on the podcast before, like it wasn't that long ago where people would gather in the streets to watch a beheading and that was entertainment, (laughs) right? Like people would cheer it on like the same way we go to the movies or we go to a sports game. Like people would literally go and watch people like kill each other for entertainment. And if you think of the, the consciousness of a race of people who lived in that reality, and you think of the, like how much fear a world like that must have lived in. And this is only a few hundred years ago that our world was like this. In some places it still is like that. Maybe not to the degree it used to be, but there's still those kinds of things happening in the world. And so if you, if you look at a race of people who lived in that reality and how much fear they must have as a result of living in that reality. And then those are our ancestors. Those are the people who have passed their consciousness on to us. And then you think of how much fear we have received from that and how much fear our parents have received from that. And fear is woven into literally every aspect of our experience in life. You know, companies try to market products to us and they do it by activating our fear right? Like they know that if they can make you feel like you're going to miss out on something important or you're going to be less than someone else or someone else is going to be more special or more attractive, or if you have this thing, it'll increase your status. And and like all these tactics, like this is how people and companies sell products to us. And it plays on our fear. And you know, the, the news plays on our fear. This is how they keep their ratings up. This is how they keep people watching the news is by keeping people afraid. And by keeping people afraid, they keep their ratings, they keep their viewerships up, right? So like, I'm just, I'm saying all of this because I really want you to see how deeply fear is woven into every aspect of our lives. And I would say it's less so in this generation than it was in previous generations. So your parents' generation had it a lot stronger than we do now. And their parents had it even stronger. And I mean, you know, I could go on and on about this all day, but like to just think about like in our world now, human rights is a, is a basic idea that most people accept that human beings have rights. But it wasn't that long ago that only the wealthy had rights and, and common people had no rights at all. And it's just really important to understand the the trajectory of human experience and how we have become what we are. And what it really is, is it is the perpetuation of the ego. The ego teaching other people about their egos and, and your parents' ego teaching you about your ego. And then if you have kids, you teach your kids about their ego. And it's just the perpetuation of the ego, the perpetuation of this body centered identity that, as I said earlier, is fragile, easily hurt, weak, and in need of protection. And this is completely at odds with everything that we really are. So now I want to just transition a little bit and talk about, so what are we really, right? If we are not this, if we are not this fragile, easily hurt thing that is in need of protection, what are we really? Well, at the essence, 
at the core, if we go, if we go right to the heart of what we're made of, we are spirit. Now, as I say spirit, like that, that word might have different connotations for different people, but let me just, let me just say this. Okay. If there, if you could imagine some kind of fundamental life essence, you know, we could even call it energy because all things in our physical world are made out of energy, right? If you, if you break down the molecules that make up this table and this microphone and this phone that I'm talking to you on, right? If you, if you take, if you break down the molecules that make up these physical objects, what you get are energetic relationships. There's like an electromagnetic force and, and there are these energetic relationships that are holding these atoms in place and then they bond with other atoms and they create molecules and the structures get larger and larger and larger and they move at incredible, incredible speeds. So it gives the appearance of a solid object like this table. But there really are no solid objects. There's just energy, right? So we could say, what is energy made out of? Where does energy come from? Well, spirit would be the essence of energy, right? It's even, it's even more fundamental than energy. It's like before energy even exists, there is spirit, right? And we could, we could call it God. Some people refer to that fundamental spirit as God, and that's okay. And in, in my view, it, that's basically what it is. But, but however you want to frame it for yourself, and, and you know, it's, it's, really, it's really not so important how you frame it in terms of understanding, but what's important is that you recognize that you are made of something so great. You are made like you, you, like you come from the foundational essence of the universe. Like you are like every, every great person that you see in the world and you go, wow, you know, I would like to be like that. Or what would it be like to be that? Well, you're made of the same stuff that they are. You're made of the same stuff the stars are made of. You're made of the same, like, like we're all made of the same stuff. Everything is made of the same stuff. And there's this foundational spiritual essence underneath everything. We could say you're made of God stuff, right? Like you're now, I want to be clear. I'm not saying you are God. I, I do think there is something that we come from and we are not the thing that we come from. Someone says we're made in the image. I think that's a good way to put it, right? Like we are, we are a reflection of that source, but we are made of the same stuff that that source is made of, right? We, we are it. And so if you start that, that's where we come from. That's what we are at our core. When you, when you take away the body, when you take away the, the stories about ourselves, when you take away the beliefs, when you take away the ideas, when you take away all the talk and all the drama, and you just get down to what's left, all that's there is God stuff, right? Just eternal, vibrational God stuff, like essence of life. So that's where we start. And then out of that, I say that's like, that is just like pure existence. The, the spirit is pure existence, pure essence. There's no, there's no experience in spirit because experience just extends on and on and on forever. We could also say maybe this is pure love, right? That'd be another way to talk about it. Like, like pure spirit is pure love. 
It's just pure love essence. It just extends on and on eternally forever. There's no end. There's no break. There, there's, there's nothing that can interrupt it, nothing that can destroy it. It just, it is it and it is the foundation of everything. Now, what emerges from within this eternal love, this eternal spirit, what emerges from within this is the mind. And the mind is what we could call consciousness. The mind is what we could call experience, right? In spirit, there's no real experience. It's just extending on and on endlessly. The mind is, is the experience that occurs within the spirit. So within the spirit, if, if you could imagine there was, there was some kind of push, I wouldn't even want to call it a desire. I don't think the word desire fits, but some kind of push or some kind of pull to have an experience, to exist, to be alive, to create, to produce, to, I mean, right, I could go on and on about this, but within this endless eternal love, within this endless spirit, there is a push or a pull to exist, to create, to produce. And this is when, this is how the mind emerges. And the mind is, is a certain identity. It's a certain entity. It's a certain existence, right? And, and then I'll say, we'll call this the higher mind because the higher mind is like, the higher mind is like the greatest expression of who you could be, right? It's, it's the mind that is reflective of love. It's the existence that is reflective of pure love. So there's no fear, there's no doubt, there's no worry, there's no concern, there's there's no deprivation, there's no scarcity. It's not like, am I going to get what I need? Am I not going to get it? I'm afraid, I'm trying to control it. I'm, that's all ego stuff, right? None of that exists in the higher mind. The higher mind is just the emergence of pure love. It's just pure existence. It's just pure being coming into existence. And then this is where we could say, if you have multiple lifetimes and, and you know, a lot of people say that you do, a lot of people say that you don't me personally, I'm neither here nor there on that one. I, I could easily go either way, but, but if you do have multiple lifetimes, your higher mind is encompassing of all of these lifetimes, all of your experience, everything you are, have been or will be, it's all included in the higher mind. So the higher mind is like the fullness of who you are as an, as an entity, as an existence. Then coming out of the higher mind comes the body. And the body is when the higher mind says, I want to have an experience in physical reality. I want to be a person. I want to live a life. I want to go on journeys. I want to travel. I want to be in relationship. I want to experience love in this kind of way, right? I want to experience life through a different perspective. I want to experience myself through a different perspective. And the body is essentially a chosen limitation to create a certain experience. 
So the higher mind is all of it. It's everything you are, have been, will be. It's, it's the totality of your existence. The body is a chosen limitation to give you a very specific kind of experience, right? So our higher mind comes into the body in order, I don't even want to say it comes into the body, but it, it creates the body. It, it, it brings forth the body. So we can have a very specific kind of experience in physical reality. So we can understand ourselves from a new perspective. So we can learn about who we are. We can learn about what life is. We can learn about what God is. We can learn about existence. We can learn about love. We can learn about passion. We can learn about strength. We can learn about evolution. We can learn about all these things. And the body is the vehicle for this kind of learning. So this is why I say, you know, we most, most of us think that our mind is inside of our body because our ego mind basically is inside of our body. Our ego mind is something that emerges through the body. And when we identify with the ego, we, we identify with ourselves as this body. But when we can access the higher mind and we can start to understand ourselves from the perspective of the higher mind, we can start to see that we are not this body, that we are something so much greater than this body. And the body is just, uh, I say it's like trying on a new hat, right? It's like I try on this one today, maybe tomorrow I try on another one. But it's like I'm, I'm having a very specific lesson here. I'm having a very specific curriculum here. I'm, I'm going through very specific experiences in this body. And I actually created this body. I, I chose in my higher mind to come into being in this body because there were things that I wanted or needed to learn by doing so. And so I live a lifetime in this body. And, you know, for us, it seems so long, it seems never ending, it's, and our suffering is so real and so intense. But from the perspective of the higher mind, it's like you went to school for the day, right? This hundred or so years that you live in this world, it's like a day in class. It's like you just, you were just having an experience. You were just going through some things so you could understand yourself from a new perspective. When class is over, you go back home and you integrate what you've learned. Then maybe you go to a new classroom the next day, right? But it's... This is, this is really the reality of what we are is what I'm talking about right now. And so you have spirit, the essence that everything is made of, mind, the existence, the personal existence, the you coming out of endless spirit, a you emerges, that's the mind or the higher mind. Then you have the body, which is the the three-dimensional physical reality experience that the higher mind brings itself into to learn, to grow, to expand, to deepen its understanding. Then you have the emotions. And the emotions are a feedback system that goes between the higher mind and the body. So basically the way the emotions work, and, and I'm going to oversimplify this times a million right now, but just, just as a fundamental understanding of how this works, the emotions are a feedback system between the higher mind and the body. 
And what the emotions do is they reflect how our, how do I want to say this? They reflect how our identity is, I'm not saying this right. It's, are we identifying with ourselves in a, in a way that is reflective of our true nature? Or are we, are, are we identifying with ourselves in a way that is reflective of our ego nature? Okay. When we identify with our ego nature, which is our physical nature. So when we, when we feel that this body is my ultimate reality, that I'm stuck, I'm limited, I'm trapped, I'm hurt, I'm afraid, I'm lost. When we identify in those ways, negative emotions or painful emotions or suffering are the emotional experiences that are activated. That's the feedback system letting us know that we are misidentifying ourselves. Now, when I see myself as expansive, as creative, as passionate, as alive, as having a strong energetic presence, as being attractive, as being worthy, as being capable, right? right? All of these things. When I see myself in this way, that's when the positive emotions are activated. The positive experience, the the joy, the love, the connection, the vibrance, the vitality, right? Because that's the feedback system letting me know that I am understanding myself in a way that is reflective of my true nature. So these are the four dimensions of human experience, body, mind, emotion, and spirit. You have spirit, eternal essence. You have mind, existence, you have the body experience, and then you have the emotions, which are feedback. Now, what I was saying earlier is you also have the ego mind. And the ego mind is a smaller mind that comes through the body. And so when we think that our mind is inside of our body, we're being identified with our ego mind. And your ego's aim, your ego's goal is really to protect you. It's, it's really just to anticipate pain, anticipate suffering and try to protect you from it, try to stop it from happening. And what the ego is going to do it. And because, because our ego begins to emerge very early in life and because the world that we are born into is highly, highly egoic, and because our parents usually have very strong egos and our teachers usually have very strong egos and the people we interact with at school and so on, they usually have very strong egos. And, and because of all this, because our own ego is trying to protect us and then it's interacting with all these other egos, the, the identity that we build around ourselves becomes highly, highly egoic. And yes, it is trying to protect us in its own view of life and in its own view of 
reality, the ego thinks that it is doing the right thing to protect you. The problem is, is it is suffocating your authenticity. It's suffocating your vitality. It's making you unattractive. It's making you unable to connect in a, in a real authentic way with other people. It's causing you to isolate in ways that you may not even realize. And the ego does all of this because it just, it feels that love is very dangerous. It feels that vulnerability is very dangerous. And so this is, this is what I want to say, because I know I've been talking about a lot of theoretical stuff and, and I just, I want to make this very real right now. When you go to create love, when you go to create an authentic connection with someone, when you, when you say, you know, I, I want to have a life partnership or, or I want to find the person of my dreams and fall in love and build a life together. You know, if you're, if you're thinking in those ways, You've got to understand that fundamentally what you are going to have to do is you are going to have to open yourself up for that person to be able to hurt you, right? If you want to fall in love, if you want someone to fall in love with you, if you want to have all the yummy, juicy goodies that come with all of that, then what you're going to have to do is open yourself up for that person to hurt you. That's just literally what it comes down to. There's no way around it. There's no shortcut. There's no way to like get all the love you want, but still keep yourself protected. And this is what our egos try to do, right? Our egos try to find some kind of way to manipulate and maneuver the situation so that we can get all the love we want, but not open ourselves up to be hurt. And this is where all the game playing and all the manipulation comes from and all the, oh, wait three days to text back because you don't want them to think you're too desperate and all this fucking crap that we do to try to look a certain way or make somebody think a certain thing about us or, or feel like we have the upper hand or get this person to like us more than we like them and all the stuff we do all the withholding and all the, I'm not going to give it to you until you give it to me and all this kind of stuff is our ego attempting to get the love we want without opening ourselves up to being hurt. Now, I see somebody asking, what's the point of being hurt? Well, that is a great question. And let me just, let me, let me say, let me say what I was going to say and then I'll come back to that because yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to come back to that question in a moment. It's a great question. I definitely want to touch on it. But first I want to, I want to say what I was going to say is that the only reason I'm going to bring it full circle to where I started now, the only reason that we feel the need to do all these manipulative games and all the strategizing and all this controlling and all this protecting is because we have decided that we are fragile and weak and in need of protection. Okay, I want everyone to really get this. This is the identity that we have created around ourselves by viewing ourselves through the ego, 
Okay, the ego is the protective mechanism. Therefore, the ego is going to tell you that you are weak and in need of protection. And when we listen to the ego tell us who we are, we are going to feel within ourselves that we are fragile, weak, and in need of protection. Now, all of our feelings of unworthiness, all of our feelings of like, I'm not enough, or I'm not lovable, or that person that I want could never want me, and like all this stuff, that all comes from viewing ourselves through the ego. Because if you were to really get, if you were to really get that you come from love, that you come from spirit, that you come from that eternal everlasting source, that there is nothing in the universe that could ever break you. You just, you can't be broken. You see, some of you believe you're broken, but your reality is that you could never be broken. There is nothing in you that is breakable. Like it's, it's the most insane thing because we, the reality of us is eternal, everlasting, beautiful, and yet we develop an identity through our ego that tells us that we are the opposite of that. And so we try to protect ourselves from pain because based on who we believe we are, we believe that we cannot handle pain. We believe that we cannot handle hurting. But when you really, when you really start to understand who you are and you start to experience yourself in the fullness of your being, rather than just how the ego has come to understand who and what you are, what starts to happen is you're just not afraid of pain anymore. You're like, what's the worst that could happen? There's a fluctuation of energy within my eternal being. Okay, not that big of a deal. I mean, really think about that. Like the worst thing that could happen, let's say you fall in love and they're the most amazing person and you have this beautiful journey together. And then let's say this person passes away. I, I mean, like, and, and honestly, like I'm somebody, if I just share my reality right now, right? Like I'm somebody who has fallen in love with someone who is amazing. We have an amazing life together. And probably one of my deepest fears, I wouldn't say probably, I would say my deepest fear is that something would happen to her and, and she would die and, and get taken away from me, right? That is like my deepest fear in life right now. And yet, even if that were to happen, and, and I often coach people who have gone through the loss of a, a, you know, their love and, and things like that. And even if that were to happen, and God, man, if that happened, like, I'll tell you, I would feel it, okay? Like, I would feel it, it would hurt, I would have to go through it, and I, you know, like, Van Henten Yolanda, it happened to you, yeah, I remember you talking about that, right? So, it, and even going through that, it's like, the almost the most painful thing somebody could go through, and yet you're still here. And when it's all said and done, when you get through that pain, when you get to the other side of it, when it's all said and done, it's like all it was was a fluctuation of energy 
inside your eternal everlasting being. And when you start to understand yourself as that, rather than this fragile little ego that is just trying to protect itself against every rejection or every disappointment or every, oh my God, if, if he says, if he says he doesn't like me, I just couldn't live with myself. Like, yes, you could like, yes, you could. And that's the problem is you've spent your whole life telling yourself that you can't. And so when it comes time to deal with that, you don't believe you can. And most of the pain that you're experiencing is not actually because of what happened. You got rejected, you got ghosted, you got broken up with, your your ex ran off with someone else and, and now they're engaged or whatever might have happened. Like all of the stuff that happened, your pain, most of it is not caused by what happened. Because all that actually happened is circumstances in your life changed and you're experiencing a transition of energy inside your body and that's all that's happening. But what's causing your pain and causing your suffering is the way that your ego is framing the situation and using it to reinforce your limited identity as a fragile, breakable, easily hurt, easily broken, limited little thing that needs protection, that needs to fight for survival, that needs to prove itself, that needs to show everybody that it's enough, that needs, right, all of this. And because, because your ego understands you in that way, it is filtering this situation, this challenging life situation in this way. And it is causing you to identify with who you're not. And therefore, the more strongly you identify with who you're not, the more strongly you experience the emotional fallout from that. Remember I said earlier, the emotions are a feedback system. They're giving you feedback to whether you're identifying with who you are or who you're not. And so when, when you go through a breakup, let's say your partner of so many years leaves you. Let's say they fall in love with someone else. Let's say they, they fall in love with someone else and, and they run off or, you know, whatever happens, right? Well, it's, it's one thing just to be like, wow, I don't have this person here anymore. I miss them. You know, I miss that we used to wake up together. Now I wake up alone. I miss that we used to spend our days together. Now they're not here. You know, I used to get excited about something and they would be the first person I would reach out to. And now I can't do that. Right. And there's the transition and there's the energetic fluctuation in your body of just readjusting to the newness of things. And that's not comfortable, right? That's uncomfortable. That can create some anxiety. That can create some depression. But if you can just be with the experience and move through it, it's, it's honestly not that bad. And I know like some people might hear this right now and go, how the hell can you say that's not that bad? Like I'm devastated. 
But what makes it devastating is because you're not just dealing with the energetic transition. On top of the energetic transition, you're piling on all this stuff. I'm not enough. Why don't they want me? Why wasn't I enough? I gave them everything and it still wasn't enough. And then you project that into the future and you say, that means I'm not going to be enough for the next person. And I'm not going to be enough for the next person. And nobody's ever going to want me. And I'm going to be alone forever. And I'm just this broken, useless little thing that nobody wants anything to do with. And I gave this person my best. I gave them my everything. I, I don't have anything more to give. And if it didn't work for them, it won't work for anyone else. And I'm just fucked. And I'm just going to be alone for my whole life. And nobody Nobody's ever going to love me. And so on top of the energetic transition, we pile on all of this ego stuff. And, and that's where all of the intense suffering comes from. That's where the intense pain, and this is where it drags on for months and months and months and months. And why does it drag on for months and months and months? Because you're not letting it move. You're actually like the energy wants to move. The energy wants to evolve. The energy wants to transition. And you are literally piling on dead weight. I'm not enough. I should have been more. Why don't they love me? Why don't they want me? What, what did I do wrong? How could I be more? How, and you're piling on all this dead weight that is present, uh, excuse me, preventing the transition from happening. And so the way, the way that this works and for those of you, I've seen some of the comments and those of you who, you know, maybe are transitioning through really challenging experiences right now. And I know, uh, I was talking about the inspired love program earlier. Like we have some people in the program right now that are transitioning through some pretty intense experiences. And, you know, the thing to do is to one, just like affirm to yourself, first of all, that this experience is not going to break me. Like it can't. Like literally, it is impossible to break you. Um, if anybody's ever read the book, A Man's Search for Meaning, it was uh, Viktor Frankl. It's, um, he was a, a Jew in, in the Holocaust. Literally, he was a doctor, a business owner, a husband, a father, had this pretty great life for himself. And then when, uh, when the Germans moved in, and um, I don't know if he lived in Germany. I think he lived in Poland, actually. But when the Germans moved in, they, uh, they literally like just trashed his business, took his wife, took his kids away, put him on a train, sent him to an internment camp. And he, he was basically, he was a doctor in a work camp in, in the Holocaust. And his wife was killed, his children were killed, and his business was taken away. His whole life was taken away. And he wrote this book about how no matter what they could do, the thing they could not do was break his spirit. And he talked about all the people around him in the, in the Holocaust. And he talked about how he could see that there were certain people who choose to let their spirit be broken or who chose to let their spirit be broken. And there were certain people who did not. And it was very obvious in the, in the camps who was who. 
and, and be, believe me, I'm not like I'm not downplaying any of this. Like I, I don't I don't know how I would relate to a situation like that. I just I really don't know. I, I would have to experience it to have any kind of idea of how I would relate to an experience like that. But this was his experience, and the the point is is that people cannot be broken. People cannot be broken. We choose to allow the experiences of life to break us. And even then, they only break us temporarily because nothing can break who you really are. So you start by saying, this is not going to break me, right? This experience is not going to break me because I'm made of love and you can't break love, right? Like I, like I come from God's stuff. I come from the essence of the universe. Like you can't break that. So this guy or this girl or this person, this experience, this is not going to break me. And then from there, you've got to start to, I've said this, the ego speaks the first, the longest and the loudest. Okay. That's a quote I get from A Course in Miracles, uh, but I've said it many times, right? The ego speaks the first, the longest, and the loudest. And what you've got to do is you've got to, you've got to get to a place within yourself where rather than being the ego, you can observe the ego. That's the first, that's the first step, right? Rather than being the ego, you observe the ego. So you you, it's not about stopping the ego. I saw the question earlier. Someone asked, how do I stop the ego? How do I shut the ego up? How do I stop it from talking? Well, you can't, you know, however many years old you are, the ego has that many years of momentum. Okay. It's like, it's like saying, how do I stop a train when it's going at full speed? Like you, I mean, you can, but you don't just stop it. You've got to like slow it down gradually, right? So your ego is kind of like that. It's like a train that's going at full speed and it's been going at full speed for a lot of years. It has a lot of momentum. So you don't stop the ego. You don't shut up the ego. You create some distance between yourself and the ego. You get to a place within yourself where you can view the ego from, uh, say, in, in many spiritual um, practices, they call it being the observer, right? So rather than being the ego, rather than hearing that voice within myself as though it's my voice, I create some distance between that and I look at that voice not like it's my voice, but like it's a voice, like it's the voice of my survival mechanism, like it's a habit like it's a pattern that exists within me. And rather than identifying with that habit and with that pattern, I'm observing the habit or the pattern. And there's some space there. There's some distance there. And then from that place, once there's some space and there's some distance and you're not so strongly identified with the ego, then you start to feel into the body. And you want to kind of drop out of the head and into the body in a way. Like the ego's in the head, right? The ego's in the racing thoughts, the zzzz all the time. So if you can if you can just create some distance, observe the thoughts, and then start to feel into the body. And what's actually happening here, 
on a metaphysical level, when you, when you go into deeper and stronger identification with the ego, your body is actually becoming more dense. If any of you know um, about Joe Dispenza's work, he talks a lot about this, of how, how your, your body actually becomes less energy and more matter the more strongly you identify with the ego. So the, the energetic quality of your body is densifying. It's, it's, becoming, it's becoming less fluid, less energetic, and more dense, more, more deep, uh, like, yeah, just deep matter, right? It becomes, it becomes less energetic, less spiritual, more dense, more physical. And you feel that. It feels like a weight. It feels like a suffocation. It feels like you're being weighed down. And so if you can get out of the mind and into the body, and you can start to feel the tension, the tightness, the densifying, the, the heaviness, and you can breathe into it, and, and you can start to just let it go. And you can start to allow the energy to move. Like I said earlier, you know, when you're, when you're going through suffering or when you're going through a painful experience, what's happening is there is an energetic transition taking place. And when you don't, when you don't keep reinforcing it with your ego and just, I'm not enough. And what did I do wrong? And how could it be different? And how can I stop this? And I just want it to go away. I want it to stop, right? Like that's all resistance. When you can stop weighing it down with the resistance, you can feel into the energetic nature of your body. You can feel the tightness. You can feel the tension. You can feel the heaviness. You can feel the weight. And you can breathe into it. And little by little, you can just start to let it go. You start to feel the contractions of energy. They start to release. It's like you can breathe deeper. It's like you can feel more of yourself. It's like your body actually feels lighter because there's not this dense constriction happening. It's like an, it's like an enlivening, a release, a, a movement happening inside of you in the, in the energetic nature of your body. And when this starts to happen, this is when the experience isn't so painful because you start to feel it as a movement of energy rather than a reflection of your worth or a reflection of your value or a, a reflection of what is possible or available for you in life or a reflection of how lovable or desirable you are, right? Like it's not a reflection of all of that. It's just a movement of energy. And when you experience yourself through the higher mind, which is what happens as you start to release these energetic contractions, you start to feel into your body more deeply. And, and the more you do that, the more the ego is not in such a state of resistance and you can receive messages, intuitive impulses from the higher mind. And that's when you start to recognize who you are, what you are, where you come from, what you're made out of. That's when you start to see the love inside of yourself is like, it's, it's, 
and it's who you are, right? The stories that you've been telling yourself since you were born and, you know, you got, you got traumatized when you were a little kid or you were abused as a child and then you went to school and you got made fun of by the other kids at school or you weren't invited to the party or the guy or girl you liked didn't want you. And then, you know, you ended up in a relationship with a narcissist and they treated you like you were absolute garbage and, you know, then disposed of you when they were done and left you like you were nothing, right? And then maybe that happened again or maybe you met some other people who treated you poorly. And all of the impressions and the storyline that you've been building up about yourself since the time of your birth, if you can start to just let that go, stop identifying with that, stop perpetuating, stop reinforcing that story. You will feel lighter in your body. You will feel a, an emotional flexibility and a, and a freedom and an and aliveness there. And then intuitively, you'll start to get a, a sense of who you are. In A Course in Miracles, it says that, you know, when you get to this place that I'm talking about here, your, your, it says that yourself will speak to you of what you are. I've always loved that quote. I've always loved it when I read it and, and I've always kept it in my mind. You know, when you, when you clear the space so that you're not so strongly ego identified, yourself will speak to you of what you are. And then you will start to know yourself as endless love you will start to not fear pain or hurt or heartache. And it doesn't mean that you want it. You know, uh, Matthew McConaughey, if you read his book, Green Lights, it's a great book. I really love that book. But he talks about the art of running downhill. And what he says is, is that, you know, life is going to bring you hard times. Life is going to bring you challenges. And we've got to be with those challenges when they come. So the art of running downhill means that when life is not challenging you, Take it, you know, enjoy it, live it up because those challenges are going to come, right? So it's, it's really that it's, it's allowing that fullness of life to be there, not, not diminishing that in any way. And then I want to go back to the question, um, and, and I'll, I'll answer this and then I'll take a few other questions. I have a little bit of time, but I wanted to go back to the question someone asked earlier is like, what is the purpose of hurting? Or what is the value of hurting? And what's the, what's the reason for hurting? And I'll say this. The value or the purpose in suffering is to teach us that we don't have to suffer. But it's, it's so important to go through the process here. And this is, this is where I think a lot of the new age stuff gets really off track because they talk about feeling good and you're supposed to feel good all the time. And they're like these spiritual idealists that tell you that if you're feeling bad, that you're in a low vibration and your low vibrational frequency is going to attract the wrong things. And you know, there, there is some truth in that. But in the way most people talk about it, it is wildly misunderstood because some of you may have heard the saying in a training I used to do, we would use the saying that the only way out is through. 
The only way out is through. You see, you can't, you can't spiritually bypass this stuff. The fact is, is you have an ego. From the time you were born, you've been building up and creating and reinforcing an ego identity. And you can't just throw some positive thinking on top of that and think that it's all going to be cool. Like, like this is, as I said, however many years you've been alive, there are that many years of momentum behind your ego. And you can't just shut your ego up and move on. You've got to, you've got to really be with your ego. So when life brings you these challenging times, when life brings you a heartbreak or an illness or the death of a loved one or the loss of a relationship or you get cheated on or you get treated poorly or any of these things, when life brings you these experiences and you are feeling the emotional fallout of these experiences, what life is really giving you is an opportunity to grow more into your true self. And I would say it actually, you would not be able to do it without this experience activating your ego in that way, right? It's like this experience actually pushes what was laying under the surface up to the surface. And then from that higher perspective, from that when it's all in your face and you can see it and, and, you're, and you're experiencing the fallout of it, that's when you have the opportunity to work through it. That's when you have the opportunity to, as I said earlier, create the space between your ego and yourself, right? Become the observer of it rather than being immersed, immersed in it. Feel into your body. Breathe into it. Release the energetic contractions that are happening. Create that space to get more of an intuitive sense of who you are. This is, uh, this is the process. And so the suffering and the pain that you experience in life, that is an evolutionary upgrade for you. That is life. I mean, the sufferings in my life, all of them, every single one, especially the big ones, like when I, when I went to jail and I spent two years in jail, I had everything I loved in my life taken away from me, right? And, and I use the word love loosely because there wasn't a lot of love in my life at the time. But I had my whole life ripped away from me and I spent two years in jail, right? Um, like the, the traumatic breakups I've been through when my, when my high school girlfriend cheated on me and blindsided me, you know, when, I, when my wife was diagnosed with cancer and went through chemotherapy, you know, like these, these major, major life difficulties that have, that have been just monumentally challenging. Every single one of them has been an incredible evolutionary upgrade, but that's only because I was willing to receive them that way. You know, when I was in jail, I'll share this. Like when I was in jail, I was really committed to turning my life around. And when I looked around the jail and the people I was in there with, people who were at that point in my life, just like me, they weren't really that different from me. We were doing the same things. We were living the same kind of life. But 
they didn't have that commitment. They were just there doing whatever they had to do till they could get back out. And then they wanted to get back out and do the same thing again. And I was really doing some introspection, reflecting on how I got there, reflecting on the kind of life I wanted to have, thinking about, you know, what I would need to do to have that life, being willing to, you know, get clean and, and get off of the drugs and, and, you know, and which is what I did when I got out and I turned my life around. So, you know, there's these experiences are incredible evolutionary upgrades if you allow yourself to use them in that way. But if you don't use them in that way, then they will strengthen your ego identity. So let's say if your, if your, you know, significant other breaks up with you, they go get engaged to another person and it's, you know, it's just like so devastating, right? I was asking this person to propose to me or when we were going to get engaged for years and they never did it. And then they break up with me and six months later, they're engaged to someone else. I mean, that's just awful, right? Like, like there, there aren't a lot of things that hurt that badly, you know, so they're, so let's just say that happened to somebody and you have that opportunity to really your ego is going to be highly activated and you have the opportunity to really work through that in a conscious way and find freedom. Or you have the opportunity to really dig your heels in and say, I knew it. This is what you can expect from men or women, or this is, this is just how it is for me. Like I'm never going to find love. Like there's just something wrong with me. Like my relationships never work out. And, and you could just go down that rabbit hole with it. And if you do that, that's going to strengthen your ego. That's going to strengthen that egoic identity. And so when you go back into the dating world, when you go back into looking for love, you're either going to be doing it with a greater level of freedom and authenticity and the ability to connect and the ability to love, or you're going to be doing it with a greater level of limitation, of protection, of cynicism, of doubt, of fear. So the purpose of suffering, going back to the question, the purpose of suffering is to act as a catalyst for growth. It's, it's to suffering serves as an evolutionary upgrade to bring us to a place where more and more and more we realize that we just don't have to suffer. More and more and more we realize that we can just be happy. But you can't just throw that on top of your suffering. And that's where the positive thinking people are off track. You've got to grow into that place. And I'll say in my life today, I suffer from time to time. Like I definitely have my ego attacks that come on and, you know, something in my life, maybe something in my relationship or something on social media or, you know, a bunch of people trash talking my content or, you know, like I'll I'll have things come up where I have my little ego attacks and I'll experience suffering. But I'll, I'll also say that in my life today, 
and especially in in the last year since my uh, since my wife was diagnosed with cancer and and that journey that we went through together was a huge evolutionary upgrade for both of us i have been feeling more and more the ability to just be happy to just be in love to just be at peace and i've been seeing my ego come up and go what about this what about that or oh, oh, oh and all the noise and all the fear and all the thoughts about what if this what if that and maybe i should protect myself maybe i should do this maybe i should force this situation all all the ego stuff right and i've seen that come up and i've felt within myself an ability to just go i don't need any of that and just let it fall away like i see the ability to be afraid and i also feel within myself that i don't need to be afraid and that's not something that i achieved by positive thinking all the time that's something i achieved by really being present to the suffering in my life and being willing to go there and work through it and not avoiding it being willing to hold that So that's a great question, you know, what is the suffering for? And and you know, that's what it's for. It's for growth. I'm going to start with this question from Trust the Path says, "How do we start to break down that ego identity? If you're aware that you've created an image self and it's keeping you so afraid to even live and just stay stuck and not move forward in a career." And uh for for you it's a career for someone else it could be a relationship or or really any area of our life but but uh yeah the you know the ego identity that you're talking about keeps you stuck and afraid to live and move forward in career now this is a great question and so the ego identity is based on the past and specifically it's based on the fears of the past right so every experience you've had that was scary or frightening made you feel less than made you feel deprived made you feel lost made you feel unworthy any and all of the above any experience you've had that activates those kinds of feelings in you get integrated into your ego identity and it it does it becomes a massive limitation it's kind of like you know when you build a wall you might be keeping people out but you're also keeping yourself in right and that's what the ego does the ego builds up walls around you where okay you you're protected but you're also keeping life and love and joy and passion and all those things out. So, how do you do this? Well, it it I want to say it's a gradual process. Right? And there's there's not there's not one solution. I mean, there are many solutions and like you know therapy is a great place to start i mean i think everybody should be in therapy right so therapy is a great place to start or or work with a coach i think that's a, another way of of getting at the same things but coaches work a little differently than therapists do but you know be in therapy or have a coach i mean that's that's something i i recommend for everyone um or you know having both or or going back and forth between the two um but you know that's a great way to start um meditation i mean i i think just meditation for me is like food it's like i i need to meditate more than i need to have breakfast it it's it's that like it is more important than eating to me 
Um, now, if I didn't eat at all, it might be less important than eating. But, you know, definitely like when I wake up in the morning, I could skip breakfast. I cannot skip meditation. So that is, uh, you know, meditation, I think, is a big one. Um, you know, there's just so much. I mean, there are so many methods. There's breath work. There's like different kinds of somatic healing. There, there are so many methods. But I, I think, you know, how do we really do it is you've got to get committed to doing it. And, and so all of the methods are going to give you access to different aspects of this, right? You can, you can get access to different aspects of yourself as you, you know, if you, if you go into breath work, you know, if you go into like some deep breath work processes that are really going to take you into an altered state and really allow you to get into your body and out of your mind right? You're going to experience it very differently in that sense than if you just were coaching or, or talking to a therapist or meditation is going to give you access to different aspects of it as well. And I've done all of it. I mean, over the years, like there's, there's very few healing modalities that I haven't done. And anytime I go to a workshop or, or I, I take a training, like I'm often, I'm often just seeing different versions of, of things that I've done in one place or another. And you know, so I think they've all been, they've all been incredibly, incredibly helpful and incredibly powerful in different ways. I wouldn't say one was better than the other or one was more valid than the other. I think I wouldn't be who I am if I hadn't had some experience with all of them and they hadn't all impacted me in some way. But, you know, even more important than what you do, whether you go to a training or a workshop or you hire a coach or you meditate or whatever, even more important than all of that is your commitment to doing it. And all of these things are going to give you different perspectives. They're going to give you access to different avenues of healing. But what's really underneath it is your commitment to it and your willingness to see the ego within you and choose differently. So what I, what I want to say is, is you said it's, it's preventing you from going forward in a career, right? Well, don't wait till it's all worked out and then move forward in your career. Move forward in your career and then heal while you're doing that. You see, and, and this is how I work with people. When people hire me to coach, I'm, I'm like, okay, strap in because we're going to go for a ride. Because what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw you into the fire. Like when I, when I coach people, it's literally what I do and it's, it's worked incredibly well and my clients get amazing results in a very short amount of time. And the reason for that is because I'm like, let's jump into the fire. Let's burn away all the impurities, right? So I know some coaches and I have friends who are coaches and we've had these conversations and they're like, well, I like to go very gentle and I like to make sure people feel very safe every step of the way and that it's not too much. And like, listen, I'm, I'm very much about feeling safe. I'm very much about, you know, feeling courageous and really being ready and prepared to take that step. But I'm also like, I see too many people not moving forward in life because they're, they're, waiting for some kind of healing to happen first. And I'm like, if you do that, you're never going to go anywhere in life. You're just going to sit around and you're going to do this workshop and that workshop and talk to this coach and that coach, but you're never really going to get anywhere because actually even that 
can reinforce the ego identity that you're broken and you need to be fixed or that there's still more work to do. And when we're undoing the ego, you've got to recognize that it's not about doing the work to get better because there's something wrong. It's about doing the work to recognize there is nothing wrong. Doing the work to recognize there is nothing that needs to be fixed. Doing the work to recognize that I'm not broken. Like healing work is really about recognizing that you're already healed. That's the paradox of it, right? And I don't think you, I don't think you can get there by staying in your comfort zone and working on yourself in ways that are comfortable. You get there by getting out in the world, challenging yourself to do the things that you're afraid to do, and then experiencing whatever fallout you experience from it, working with the emotion, working with the fear, working with the triggers, working with whatever it is. And that's how you heal. So if you're holding back in your career, stop holding back in your career. If there's a job you want, go apply for that job. Go interview for that job. If you get rejected because, you, because you're so anxious in the interview that you like just can't show up good, awesome. Experience that. Feel that. Deal with it. Let those, let those little disappointments or those little rejections be... Let them be like spears that chisel away at your ego. Let them humble you. Because actually a lot of times what we really need is to be humbled. Right? In this in this over in this overindulged ego identity where on the one hand I feel like I'm worthless and then on the other hand I overcompensate with these grandiose ideas about myself to overcompensate for feeling that I'm worthless, right? And this is a little bit different topic, but sometimes we need to be humbled. Sometimes we need those rejections to chip away at our ego so we can experience our authenticity underneath it. So yeah, my advice there would be to throw yourself into the fire to stop hiding from anything you're afraid of, to stop protecting yourself from anything. And yes, yes, you will have all kinds of experiences. You will feel pain. You will feel insecure. You will feel uncertain. You will probably have anxiety. You will feel all of that. Why? Because you're stepping outside of the boundaries of what the ego has told you was appropriate for you. But you've got to understand, even your ability to step outside of those boundaries is on a deep level teaching you that you are not what the ego has told you that you are. It's teaching you that you are greater than that. Now, I want to take this question from Van Henten Yolanda. She says, after, after uh, my ex passed away, I had a narcissistic person now I'm in a periodic time that I don't think I want a man anymore. Um, oh, hold on. I love myself. Is it bad? Well, no, it's not actually. And, you know, this is the question I would offer for you, Yolanda, is do you not want a man or do you just not feel the need for one? 
the way you used to. And there's a big difference there. You know, the ego, because it is so afraid and because it is always trying to anticipate and project certain outcomes and trying to like make sure things are going to go the way I want them to, the ego feels this really strong need to to need things, to like want things, to desire things. Because in the ego's in the ego's view, it's like if I'm not desperately wanting something or if I'm not clawing and fighting and grabbing at every, you know, if, if I'm not like, if I'm not in this strong place of desire, the ego believes that I'm never going to get it because the ego thinks that it's up to the ego to produce it, right? Uh, if you remember what I said earlier, and I don't know if all of you were with me then, but if you remember what I said earlier, is that the ego is an identity completely created around the body. It has no awareness of the higher mind. It has no awareness of the spiritual aspects of what we are. It's it's just, it's centered around the body. And so it doesn't understand things like law of attraction, synchronicity, vibration, energy, like those things can never really be, be understood through the ego because the ego just accepts physical reality on the surface level for what it is. The ego just looks around, it sees the body, it sees the surrounding environment, and it assumes that this is all there is. And so going back to the question, you know, is it bad that you don't want a man anymore? No, it's not bad at all. And if you're perfectly happy being single for the rest of your life and you find deep fulfillment in that way, do it. Like you don't need a man. You don't need a partner. You don't need anything You're Like you're complete already. That's the whole point, right? But what might be happening for you, it's not that you don't want a relationship or that you wouldn't like to express or experience your life that way. But what might be happening is that you don't need it anymore that you're okay, that you're content, that you're happy, that you're fulfilled, that you're living your best life. And actually that's where with every single single person I work with, like that's where we try to get to, right? It's, it's not that you don't want it, it's that you don't need it. And because you don't need it, you can be happy now. One of the biggest problems with singles is that there's this egoic belief that I can't be happy without a relationship. And so whenever I'm, whenever I'm single or whenever I'm not involved with someone or there's not something happening or I don't feel like something's happening or I feel like I'm alone, that to me in my view of life and myself automatically equates to being depressed. It automatically equates to being lonely. It automatically equates to being sad. And it's not because that's the truth, but it's because in my egoic view of life in the way I framed it for myself, that's, that's what I understand. And so what ends up happening is anytime I'm not in a relationship with someone or I'm not in, I'm not 
building a relationship with someone or I'm not talking to someone that I think has the hope of going somewhere. I get very afraid. I get very lonely. I get depressed. And this is, this is the context that a lot of single people are living in. And so, you know, going back to the question, like that's where you want to be, where you don't want a man or you don't need a man. You just are happy to be you. You just are happy to live the life that you're living right now. You're just excited about all the things you can do and all the ways you can express and all the places you can go and, and all the places you can share your gifts with people and all the love that you can experience within yourself and then share out into the world, right? And you're just excited about all of that. And when you don't need a relationship or you don't need a man or you don't need somebody to fill some kind of void, you can just be that and live that and enjoy that indefinitely. And when the right person shows up, and they will, if you're living a passionate life, if you're living a holistic life, if you're being your best self if you're making yourself available, if you're expressing your gifts in the world, somebody will show up. I mean, they can't not when you're being that awesome in your life. So they will show up. And then when they do show up, you can either receive them or not based on if you want them or not at that time. But the fact that you're not living with this desperation about needing someone is going to allow you to enjoy your life so much more. And the fear is, going back to where I started, is the fear is that if I'm not thinking about it all the time, if I'm not obsessing about it, it's not going to happen. And that's just not true. Like, it'll happen the right time, the right place with the right person, if you even want it to. But if you're happy without it, live the happiness Live the joy, live the fulfillment. You don't need to diminish your joy just because there's not somebody in your life. You can be completely happy right now and be completely happy every day of your life until that person shows up and then continue being happy beyond that. In fact, that's the, that's the way to do it, in my opinion. Because, you know, the truth is, relationships end. And you know this, Yolanda, people die, people break up. Relationships come, relationships go. It happens. But if you have something inside of yourself that is fulfilled and alive and vibrant and vital and passionate, and you feed that every day, that's, I mean, that's going to be there no matter who comes, no matter who goes, no matter what changes in your life. And that's the thing to hold on to. And even, even when you get into a relationship with someone, that's the thing that is going to have your, that's the thing that's going to have your greatest gifts shine through that's the thing that's going to invite that relationship into your life. You know, I mean, it's a paradox. The less you need it, the more it becomes available for you. The more you need it, the less available it is. 
And that is, I mean, that's just the vibrational relationship of the universe, right? The craving or the wanting of something actually makes it very hard to get. But the being completely content as you are, recognizing the completeness within yourself, recognizing the wholeness within yourself invites so much more into your life. It's just the way it works. Uh, so for anyone who uh, would like to subscribe to the podcast from Instagram, the podcast is called The Conscious Love Show. It's available on all major platforms. Um, just again, thank you to everyone who joined in with me this week. It was really exciting to be here and share some of these things with you and uh, be back next week. Um, so, so much love to all of you, wherever you are, whatever you're going through. Um, know that you are enough and amazing enough to, to handle it, that you are worthy of, of everything that you desire, that you are abundant enough and, and capable enough to create that and manifest that for yourself. And I just want you to, you know, know that no matter what you're feeling right now, no matter where you are, no matter what's happening for you, know that the essence of who you are has not changed, will not change, will never change. Like you, you cannot not be what you are. It's just, it's as simple as that. And so really, really try to feel the, the spaciousness in, within yourself and really try to feel who you are outside of your ego. And as I said earlier, you know, who you are will speak to you of yourself in a deep and intuitive way. And you will start to understand who you are, the more space you create between yourself and your ego. So sending so much love, everybody, uh, lots of love, lots of blessings. Thanks for being with me today. And I'll see you next week. All the best. Bye-bye. Thanks again for checking out the show. Please subscribe on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on the most. And I would love it so much if you leave a review and tell people what you think of us. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at The Living Relationship to connect more closely. And I'm grateful to be supporting you on your journey to love.